views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. so mixed up right now. It's a Friday morning. It's June the 21st, 2019, as we broadcast to you from Black Talk Radio Network Studios. Good morning to you. Um, We do have, as always, some news and views for you this morning. Let me first state that if you have any views, any news you would like to share, if you'd like to comment on any of the topics, you can give us a call. At 704-802-5056, that's 704-802-5056, hit the star key twice, that will signal me, but please watch your background noise. Got a lot to talk about, Um, going to follow up yesterday's broadcast on the issue with Iran, the Iranian shooting down a drone, uh, Donald Trump has been asked by the media about things concerning it. It seems to me and others that the mainstream media is pushing him to retaliate uh, against the Iranians by attacking them for shooting down a spy drone. So uh, Donald Trump actually came out and said that he called off some attacks. So we'll get into that story and more today on Black Talk Radio News. Please continue to support the number one digital audio, uh, digital podcast and digital radio platform. Uh, we were ranked number one by a um, research and marketing form, firm based out of India, ranked the number one site in the world for black people or black content. Please, the only way that we can continue our work is with your donation. So make a donation to the North Carolina nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. You can do so by going to our platform, Black Talk Radio Network. You'll see the PayPal buttons, uh, and you'll also see a banner that says, Help Keep Us Online. Click on that banner. You can make a one-time donation. You can set up um, a monthly donation. It's entirely up, up to you. Uh, all donations are appreciated. You can also help us out by joining btrcommunity.com and let us help you out with a data mining free social media platform where you can engage in social media in anonymity. All right, so 
again, the main uh, story today uh, is Donald Trump in Iran. Uh, yesterday, Donald Trump fingered an Iranian underling for the drone shoot down, uh, said it must have been an accident. It must have been a mistake by somebody who didn't know what they were doing. Now, I know some people want to ridicule him uh, about that, but I'll take that. I'll take that all day long over him actually attacking Iran and then next thing you know we get pulled into World War uh, 3 because I do not think that I Iran's allies is going to stand to the side. The United States has made so many enemies throughout the world um, through its foreign policy that I, I just think the rest of the world is no longer afraid of the U.S. and They've already sent messages to the Trump administration that uh, they are not with the United States government on its policy towards Iran. So that's something that the U.S. could, well, of course, the Saudis will join them and the Israelis will join them and what have you. So, um, I mean, easily this thing could blow up. So he's, he said also this morning that he called off a strike because too many people would die. I think they cited something like a hundred and something people will play his um, um, interview uh, where he mentions that. And I mean, that's that's uh, whether he is sincere or not. Um, I'm glad that he decided not to retaliate. I, 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 you know, a lot of these people want war, don't fight in wars and they profit from wars and definitely mainstream media profits from wars. Why? Because it's going to give them 24 a subject to cover 24 seven. And you're going to be glued to your TV, just like you glued to your TV during the Gulf war and every subsequent uh, war we've been in. So, um, don't, make the mistake of thinking that mainstream media doesn't have an interest in the U.S. being in all of these in military entanglements because they profit from it. Just like they profit from, um, you know, the political cycle. Every, every time there's a big election, especially presidential elections, they make a lot of money off of that. Um, and CNN admitted to giving Donald Trump so I mean, probably some people have cited not just CNN, but other coverage he got as a billion dollars worth of free uh, campaign coverage. And, and the CNN executive CEO admitted that they was making a lot of money. He was good for ratings. So um, war is good for their ratings, too, um, for the people who have to fight them and the people, of course, who get killed in them. It's not so good uh, for them. Um also want to continue our reparations conversations, which is actually the name of a program. Actually, it's conversation reparations. Um, the Encobra hour-long bi-weekly program that airs Monday nights here on Black Talk Radio Network at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. But uh, we will continue to discuss it. Um, the aftermath of the hearing debates are still going on in, on social media on cable news and I found the clip yesterday and I was so excited I was like it has finally happened and I think this man's name is Charles Blow a New York Times writer and I have engaged him in the past on uh, Twitter and he's a number of the uh, people he's one of a number of people 
uh, journalists, writers, and others that we have targeted. And when I say we, I mean the new abolitionist movement have targeted with information that slavery's never been abolished. The exception clause makes that clear. You know, didn't, didn't you see Ava DuVernay's 13th in 2016? Have you not ever heard a new abolitionist radio? Oh, I'll, I'll give you a, a pass if, if you've never heard a new abolitionist radio, which has been talking about that issue since 2013. Did you not see CNN's documentary, American Jail? So finally, finally, somebody who's in, 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 engaged in this debate and mainstream media, of course, the panel, nobody on the reparations panel, none of the witness uh, brought up the 13th Amendment in its proper context, but instead, and um, in, I'm not taking a shot at them because they may not know, they've been miseducated just like millions and millions of, of U.S. citizens and, and in fact, millions of citizens of the world. Um, have been led to believe that the 13th Amendment abolished slavery. So Charles Blow was debating Rick Santorum last night. I think that was CNN. And he brought up the 13th Amendment and said, hey, there are some people who say the exception clause of the 13th Amendment uh, shows that slavery was never abolished. So let, let's not talk about something that you say ended in 1865. No, it never ended. And again, we cannot allow reparations to be tied to the institution of slavery either. We, we just simply, because it's not just about slavery. It's about um, ongoing practices uh, from, you know, during that period of enslavement to this new period of enslavement. Um, to disenfranchisement, to denying African-American citizens after 1865. Um, they became citizens and then um, a concerted effort um, by the federal government and state governments to disenfranchise those people, to deny, deprive them of life, liberty, property, and of course, their lives. So definitely we'll play that for you. Um, also, as the country continues to have conversations around reparations for African-Americans, some want to push back against the suggestion of any monetary payment. But the fact is, reparations would act as a economic stimulus package, just like the one Barack Obama signed into law, sent out all these people, uh, these stimulus uh, checks, right? And the stimulus was credited as pulling the global economy, not just the U.S. economy, but pull, pulling the global economy back from the edge of the cliff that it was about to take a nosedive off of um, because of bankers in the United States and, and probably international bankers were involved as well, um, but mainly U.S. banks bundling up toxic debt and selling that debt and, and falsifying records and committing all kind of frauds. And did they go, any of those bank presidents, executives, managers go to prison for the fraud that they created that almost brought down the global economy, uh, certainly damaged the U.S. economy? No, they got what? A bailout. They got a bailout. So don't talk to me about African-Americans don't deserve or should not get 
of reparations because um, many would argue the, against the stimulus package and say, why are you giving all this money out to all these citizens and what they don't deserve it? And certainly the bailout. Lots of people were against the taxpayer bailout of the um, Wall Street, but it happened anyway. And then as I point out, you, you as a nation send out, and when I say nation, I'm talking about the people. Uh, the taxpayers uh, primarily, you send out trillions of dollars annually to foreign nations to benefit their citizens. So how dare you? How dare you? How dare you say that uh, African-Americans shouldn't get a reparations check or any form of, of reparations when you've been sending out trillions of dollars I don't know how long, probably 150 years, but more than likely probably since the 40s, in the 50s, you handing out all this money all over the world. But you don't want to, um, you know, stabilize your own people. Well, that's because, again, they must not be looking at us as their people. They want to say we're all Americans, but, oh, they rather pay foreign. They rather send their hard-earned money uh, as they say, to foreigners than to give it to their fellow Americans for the pain and suffering and the irreparable harm that has done. I'm not going to say irreparable. Uh, people can uh, be repaired. And that's what reparations is about, repairing what this nation has broken. And we are broken people. Let's just be honest about that. So that's what's on table on the table uh, for discussion. E, uh, if you have a question or comment, uh, you can give us a call 704-802-5056, 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice to unmute yourself. Please watch your background noise. Uh, there are some other stories that I will share with you quickly. Um, 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, if you know, uh, something ha doesn't happen and he's unable, but uh, please check out our Community Talk Radio. It airs on the network Monday through Friday from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock p.m. Uh, yesterday was a very interesting program with uh, Dr. Ian had, um, Ian Burroughs is the host of that program. Uh, he had Dr. Cleo Monago. They were talking about reparations, uh, different elements of reparations and um, really focusing on the mental illness of the two black people that were called by Republicans, showcased by Republicans to talk out against reparations. Uh, Dr. Monago has some very insightful comments. He will be back in studios today um, um, to uh, continue that conversation. Um, actually, that was on the um, yesterday's, I believe it was yesterday's, was on um, prior to me coming on live, uh, it was rolling. Uh, Auto DJ was serving that up. So I just want to remind you, um, let's not stop pushing for reparations. Let's not stop having conversations around reparations. And let's continue this on our radio stations and our platforms. So let me get to some of the other um, news real quick. Um, the reason I'm, I'm was well, not the sole reason, but one of the reasons I brought up our talk um, radio, our community talk radio yesterday was because he had a guest on earlier this week who was talking about uh, this new company. It's only been around for a year. 
Um, and this new company is a cryptocurrency company, but they then purchase real precious metals, precious uh, gold um, to back their cryptocurrency. Because other than that, cryptocurrency is, if it's not backed by any precious metals, it's no different than the petrodollars the Federal uh, Reserve prints up. It's no, it's no difference. It's not backed by precious metal, but from my understanding, this is the first, um, this is the first cryptocurrency that will be backed by precious metals. I'm actually looking at getting involved uh, myself um, as a way uh, to raise funds for the Black Talk Media Project's vision of being able to go out into underserved or or unserved black communities who do not have talk radio and we can create uh, those digital radio stations right there in their communities of course with the accompanying uh, platform so I'm looking at it seriously uh, myself as an investment for our nonprofit um, but I'm very very cautious about these things but also so that brings me to this article so now Facebook it's jumping into the cryptocurrency market. And no, they're not talking about backing their cryptocurrency with gold. Um, it's pretty much going to operate just like the Federal Reserve notes. This is why we go to war a lot is to prop up the U.S. dollar and make it the reserve currency of other nations for which they do trade. Because if nobody used it, it wouldn't have any value. It has value because people accept it and they use it as a, a form of uh, currency for exchange. All right. So cryptocurrency, no different if it's not backed by precious metals. All right. So anyway, the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs will hold a hearing on July 16th. That's next month regarding Facebook's new cryptocurrency, which they're calling Libra. The hearing examining Facebook's proposed digital currency and data privacy consideration comes in the wake of calls from members of Congress to more closely examine Libra and its potential risks. So I have actually uh, called in uh, our uh, community talk radio and when they were discussing this, and I, well, I put it in the chat room and I said, are y'all aware that Facebook is talking about jumping into the cryptocurrency uh, uh, market? And see what Facebook is saying in its press releases, hey, we got a billion users and so we can create our own currency. Hey, we got Facebook stores, uh, people can buy and sell on Facebook we're going to come out with our own currency. So, of course, they're going to have you exchanging U.S. dollars or I would imagine any currency in the world since Facebook is global. Um, you'll be able to exchange your government issue currency for this fake book. Uh, did I say fake book? Um, <laughs> fake books Libra currency. Digital currency. Um, so, as I had stated um, before, that all cryptocurrency is regulated. All I mean, excuse me, not all cryptocurrency, but the U.S. government, other governments have been taking, putting their eyes and scrutinizing cryptocurrency 
because it allows you, for example, um, governments under U.S. sanctions can get around those sanctions by accepting payment, which is untraceable. Um, cryptocurrency, accepting cryptocurrency as payment for their oils or or other goods. And so, um, you know, the governments of the world and particularly the U.S. government don't like that. They don't like, you know, not having a hand in every exchange in every transaction between uh, individuals. So um, it is no surprise to me that they are going to look at this. And I'm not saying they shouldn't, you know, I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't. Um, let's make sure Facebook isn't committing a fraud. And, and again, this is why we had to be very, very cautious about what we invest our money in. There's always going to be some risk and you want to do research to minimize that risk. But to be honest with you, I kind of expected this to happen. And um, I, I can't think of a good reason why they shouldn't have a hearing on on this. So that that's just me. I have some libertarian leanings, but I'm I'm not a libertarian. They don't want the government involved in nothing, regulating nothing, uh, basically. All right. So uh, there was a couple of other stories I wanted to bring to your attention. Um, Philadelphia Police Department, and, and again, this is part of the case for reparations. Um, cause the slave catchers were just given a new title, police, and they still do the same things. Keep the free black community down and also uh, capture any escape of uh, victims of slavery. That's what they do. Uh, and capture new ones and charge them with laws and, and what have you. So Philadelphia Police Department reassigns 72 cops over racist and violent Facebook posts. They didn't fire them. They reassigned them. So it says 72 police officers in Philadelphia have been placed on desk duty as department officials investigate racist, offensive, or violent Facebook posts, the city's top cops said. Police Commissioner Richard Ross said Wednesday that he expects several dozen officers to be disciplined and some to lose their jobs after a team of researchers compiled a database of troubling public posts on the social media platform purportedly written by cops in eight jurisdictions nationwide. Again, this is the vestiges of, of, of the slavery that was never Abolish and how do you not fire them? Now I know you got to go through the motions to investigate them, but again, this also brings up the fact that the FBI—I think it was in 2006—it was during the Bush administration, W's administration, when the FBI did a, came out with a report saying that white supremacists have infiltrated police departments. Now, if you didn't know any better. You would say, "Wow, that's terrible." They let the police, they let the, uh, they let white supremacist clan members and racists infiltrate the police department. Look, that's been going on since the first police department was created. Okay, these racists ha have have been in those positions for hundreds of years, over a hundred years, doing the same very thing. Who enforced the black codes, the unconstitutional black codes, targeting black people to throw them 
into jail or prison and then lease them out as unpaid labor. Okay, police do that. All right, so uh, you know, don't 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 fall for the okie doke. Know your history. Know that the FBI said that these people were within these police departments, and what did the FBI do about it? Nothing. Nothing whatsoever. Okay, so you want to know why many people say f the police? There you go. That that that's one of the reasons why. Right there, they're blatant with their racism, and and the police union has accumulated so much power in this country. You would think that these individual officers would be afraid to post these posts, but they've been doing it forever and getting away with it, and it's very hard to fire them. Let's just be honest about that. And there needs to be a legislative push across this nation at the state level and the federal level to strip them of any immunity and protections that they have. They should be treated just like Ronald Reagan treated um, um, uh, what, are they, what do they call those people that monitor the skies, the air traffic controllers who were prevented from unionizing and uh, the police should be the same way as well as prison guards. All right. So now uh, let me see if there was some other stuff I wanted to bring to your attention before I get into the main stories again, 704-802-5056 is the number to dial to get in on the conversation. Let me get Law back in, the BTR community. Um, that is where you'll find my program notes for today's program. Again, join btrcommunity.com for just $24 a year. Uh, the $24 helps fund the media operations of the nonprofit Black Talk media project. So there was a couple of other stories that I wanted to share um, before I get to our main topics. Um, let me see. I mentioned the Philadelphia Police Department. Yeah, I mentioned that. But it's also saying other, other um, states or other localities, locales are also investigating because this, this was uncovered nationwide nationwide. All right, so I think that's pretty much the the um short stories that I wanted to share with you. So let's get to our main topics. Um let me see our main story. Again, if you didn't hear um the Iranian shot down a US drone. I believe that was yesterday. Iranians say that it entered, this spy drone entered into their airspace. The Pentagon and the Trump administration saying it did not. So when I saw a map um, where that was showing where the Iranians say the drone was and where the Trump administration, the Pentagon is saying the drone was, they're not that far apart. They're not that far apart. They may be been miles apart. Um, but they, you know, looking at it on the map, it does. It, look, that's the Strait of Hormuz. That's a very narrow strait. So, I mean, it's it, it's very provocative for not only um, the U.S. Navy, but any military to be um, uh, operating spy drones in a strait that narrow. 
And that's very provocative act. And so the dispute is where it happened at, but there's no dispute that the U.S. Navy was spying on the Iranians. Maybe they crossed the line. Maybe the drone operator uh, made a mistake and ventured into Iranian um, airspace and shot it down or or. Maybe the whoever was operating the surface, uh, uh, what is it, the surface to air missile that took down this hundred million dollar drone, uh, maybe they radar had a glitch. Well, that's what seemed <laughs> what Donald Trump is saying this morning, and I'm not picking that Trump. I am not picking that Trump. I do not want the U.S. to go to war, uh, with Iran on a pack of lies. Um, for regime change for the benefit of Israel and Saudi Arabia so they can rule the region. No, uh, I do not want that. So I'm not picking at him. I'm not picking at him. Whatever he needs to say, however he needs to rationalize, not starting World War III, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. So let, let's go ahead and run this clip. It's 2 minutes and 18 um, minutes long, it comes to you from blue, excuse me, two minutes and 18 seconds long, uh, comes to you from Bloomberg politics, but Trump is in, this appears to be the Oval Office, somewhere in the West Wing of the White House, when he's being asked these questions and listen to his commentary about the drone being shot down and who he blames. When I came here, Iran was in 14 to 18 different sites of confliction. Uh, they were extremely hostile. They were hostile when they signed the deal. They were screaming death to America. And I think probably Iran made a mistake. I would imagine it was a general or somebody that made a mistake in shooting that drone down. And fortunately, that drone was unarmed. It was not, there was no man in it. And there was no, it was just it was over international waters, clearly over international waters, but we didn't have a man or woman in the drone. We had nobody in the drone. Are you still open? It would have made a big difference, let me tell you. It would have made a big, big difference. But uh, I have a feeling, I may be wrong, and I may be right, but I'm right a lot. I have a feeling that it was a mistake made by somebody that shouldn't have been doing what they did. I think they made a mistake. And I'm not just talking to the country made a mistake. I think that somebody under the command of that country made a big mistake. And you're talking to Iran's leadership. Let's just see what happens. You just let's see what happens. It's all going to work out. Are you saying you think it was an intentional to I don't know. I find it hard to believe it was intentional, if you want to know the truth. I think that it could have been somebody who was loose and stupid that did it. But we'll be able to report back and you'll understand exactly what happened. But it was a very foolish move. That I can tell you. What you feel like there are members of your administration who are trying to push you into conflict? No, not at all. Not at all. In fact, in many cases, it's the opposite. But I will say, look, I said I want to get out of these endless wars. I campaigned on that. I want to get out. We've been in Afghanistan for 19 years. As you know, we've reduced very substantially in Afghanistan. Uh, we beat the caliphate. We took back 100% of the caliphate. When it was 99%, Justin, I said, we're going to get out. We're going to start peeling back. And everybody went crazy because it was 99. So I said, all right, so we'll finish it up. So we got 100%. And we're pulling that back out of Syria. We're pulling a lot of people back. 
but this is something, this is a new wrinkle, this is a new fly in the ointment, what happened shooting down the drone. And uh, this country will not stand for it, that I can tell you. Thank you very much. Thank you, So that was Donald Trump um, giving himself an out. And again, I'm glad he gave himself an out by saying, well, this could have been a mistake. This could have been an accident. Um, this could have been an underling in the Iranian military, uh, one person who did something very stupid and what have you. But, you know, it seems to me that the questions that he was being asked seem to be, a bit antagonistic towards pushing him to war. Now, I know that the question that was asking him about members of his administration, like Pompeo, like uh, John Bolton primarily, because um, John Bolton, <laughs> uh, as my man on a progressive soapbox once said, John Bolton has been wanting to attack Iran since John Bolton was a baby. Okay, um, he's been paid by uh, groups that have been listed on on uh, the U.S. list of terrorist groups. He he's been paid by them. They're no longer on it, but he's been paid by them to give speeches about destroying Iran and talking about partying in Tehran after the United States destroys Iran and overthrows its government. Um, so that's who they're referring to. And Trump is saying now he's contradicting himself. So they said, well, what about these members that's, uh, of your administration that has been reported pushing you for war? And he's, oh, that's not true. It's usually the other way around. So he's saying like, I'm the one that's pushing for war. Well, that's not what you said a mere couple of weeks ago when, when you said that, um, you had to keep the mustache in check. Uh, that the mustache, meaning John Bolton, um, was uh, all, was uh, pushing for war in in escalation, especially in Venezuela. I think he was talking about Venezuela at the time. He was telling, you know, saying, but you know, I I have to calm him down. So you know, Trump isn't uh, very good friends with the truth. I don't think they meet very often uh, for drinks or or anything. So um, that's just his way. Um, but it does seem to me, and other uh, pundits and talkers have noted that the mainstream media is just doing the same thing it did during the Bush administration in the lead up to uh, attacking Iraq. The same thing they did in the lead up to attacking Libya. Same thing they did um, in trying to push uh, Donald Trump and Barack Obama into invading Syria. And the same, it's the same thing. The same modus operandi. This is how they operate. Because war is good, and people been noticing they beating these war drums, talking about the mainstream media. War is profitable. Not just for the military-industrial complex, but some would argue that the mainstream media is part of the military-industrial complex. They certainly bring on many of the individuals from these uh, uh, think tanks that's always pushing for war, um, always um, pushing foreign policy that uh, is violent. And what a lot of them are experts on cable news, aren't they? They are already employed. And so, um, you know, we need to recognize that you have to be very, very discerning when you're consuming media 
from anywhere. I'm not saying trust this source or trust that source. I'm saying look at all sources and then try to uh, use logical deduction to come down and uh, to what's probably true and what's probably fake news. So a lot of fake news being pushed out there, a lot of propaganda, war propaganda being pushed out there to try to gold Trump um, into World War Three. All right, so let's listen to a non-U.S. media report which presents the Iranian account of the drone shoot down. This, uh, the other clip I played came to you from Bloom. The first clip I played came from Bloomberg Politics. This one comes to you from RT America. We begin with the escalation between the United States and Iran that has been dominating headlines all morning long. Now, Donald Trump is speaking out about an American unmanned drone. It was shot down by Iran's uh, Revolutionary Guard in the Strait of Hormuz overnight. Uh, this drone was in international waters. Clearly, we have it all documented. It's documented scientifically, not just words. And they made a very bad mistake. Okay. You'll find out. Are you willing to go to war with Iran? You'll find out. You'll find out. Obviously, obviously, you know, we're not going to be talking too much about it. You're going to find out. They made a very big mistake. Now, President Trump, as you point out, as President Trump said, made a very big mistake. But is that what it was? Well, we bring in RT correspondent Rachel Blevins to bring us all the details. Well, Scotty, President Trump is now saying that Iran made a very big mistake by shooting down a U.S. drone early Thursday morning. He claimed the drone was over international waters when it was shot down, and when asked whether the U.S. would respond by striking Iran, Trump said, quote, you'll soon find out. Now, there is an ongoing debate over the exact location of the incident. Iran claims the drone was in Iranian airspace, flying over the country's southern province, but U.S. officials are claiming that the drone was actually over international airspace in the Strait of Hormuz. The U.S. Military Central Command confirmed that an unmanned U.S. drone was shot down by an Iranian surface-to-air missile system. They said reports that the aircraft was in Iran's airspace are false, and they called the incident an unprovoked attack on a U.S. surveillance asset in international airspace. In response, the commander-in-chief of Iran's Revolutionary Guard said the country still does not intend to go to war, but it hopes to send the message that it is fully prepared for war. Oh, yeah. Early this morning, the air defense system of the Guard's Aerospace Division bravely shot down an unmanned U.S. spy aircraft which trespassed our borders and was violating our national security boundary. While President Trump has repeatedly said that he also does not want to go to war, the additional deployments of troops to the Middle East to confront Iran have increased concerns that the U.S. is heading in a dangerous direction. During a hearing of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, members of Congress questioned the U.S. Special Envoy for Iran on whether the administration believes the president has the power to declare war. Under our Constitution, uh, does the president have the power to declare war? I think this is a discussion. It's not a trick question. Again. Under our Constitution, does the president have the power to declare war? It's just a yes or no. Um, we are okay. Going. All right. Let me make it really easy for you. Under the Constitution, Congress has the power to declare war. 
But there are still concerns that the administration could attempt to declare war against Iran without approval from Congress by using the 2001 authorization for use of military force, which has been used to justify wars in countries such as Iraq, Syria, Yemen, and Afghanistan, based on the claim that the U.S. is fighting al-Qaeda and its affiliate groups. The committee's chairman also raised concerns about the influence of National Security Advisor John Bolton, noting that he has been described as having, quote, quite a track record of cherry-picking intelligence information that serves whatever case he's going to make. The Iraq war was not that long ago. I wasn't in Congress when the Bush administration was making its claims about weapons of mass destruction. Many of us weren't here then, but John Bolton was. As Undersecretary of State for Arms Control, Bolton made misleading or false statements about biological weapons in Cuba, weapons in Syria, and of course, about Iraq's development and stockpile of WMDs. Before entering the White House, he advocated for preemptive strikes against North Korea and Iran. Now it remains to be seen what steps the Trump administration will take next, but the latest incident shows that any further escalation could have dangerous consequences on a global level. Scotty? Thank you, Rachel. Now, for more of this, we turn to a professor of international human rights at the University of Pittsburgh and the author of The Plot to Attack Iran, Dan Kabalik. Thank you so much for joining me, Professor. Dan, the U.S. pulled out of the nuclear agreement. The U.S. slapped sanctions on Iran, including on medicine. The U.S. is forcing Iranian oil exports, exports to zero. Now, Iran now says the U.S. even violated their airspace. So, therefore, should those in the United States government and our intelligence be surprised that Iran has become aggressive and shot down a U.S. military drone, possibly? Yeah, I, I wouldn't even see that as aggressive. Uh, no, I mean, I think Iran is not the aggressor here. The U.S. is clearly the aggressor. Uh, remember that Iran was complying with the nuclear deal when uh, Trump backed out of it. Remember that uh, Iran helped the U.S. after 9-11 with the war on terror. It's the U.S. that's trying to provoke a war, and it's barely even concealing that fact. Um, and by the sanctions uh, and the embargo against Iran, those are acts of war. We are trying to starve out the Iranian people. Um, so yes, no one should be, should be surprised if there may be an overreaction on the part of Iran. But I don't think they've even overreacted. I don't think they want a war. They've made it clear they don't. They know they could be wiped off the map. It's the U.S. that's trying to provoke an incident here. Well, it's interesting that you said that because there's obviously a lot of different points of views on this. In fact, Senator Tom Cotton this morning tweeted this out. It's time we reject drawing a false equivalence between our Gulf allies and the Islamic Republic of Iran. The object of the Iranian regime from its founding has been the destruction of the USA and its citizens. Its rights there and their slogan, Death to America. So, Professor, I have to ask you, what do you say to those? And we're, this is a senator, and it's backed up by Lindsey Graham and others in leadership, and GOP leadership, who see Iran as a threat to the United States. Yes, well, I disagree with them. Um, again, after 9-11, Iran offered help with the war on terror and gave it, helped the U.S. fight the Taliban in Afghanistan, helped arrest high al-Qaeda officials. The irony is Iran is a mortal enemy of the people who attacked us on 9-11. Our Gulf state allies, on the other hand, particularly Saudi Arabia, actually helped support al-Qaeda and ISIS. And that's documented. And yet Saudi Arabia 
is our friend and Iran is our claimed enemy. None of this makes sense from a national security uh, standpoint. Uh, there's much more uh, behind this than national security. Um, Iran, in fact, sent a fax uh, to George W. Bush offering talks on all issues the U.S. had uh, with Iran, and the U.S. just ignored that. Uh, I think that we have shunned Iran because they overthrew a U.S.-backed dictator. We have to remember that, the Shah of Iran, the most brutal dictator in the world at the time. According to Amnesty International, in 1978, the year before the Shah was overthrown, Iran had the very worst human rights record in the world. And the U.S. backed him until the bitter end in 1979. The Iranians have a bit of issue with that. But the point is the U.S. has never forgiven Iran for overthrowing their uh, dictator, the Shah of right. Iran. And that is well, what this is all about. Well, we could, and I agree, it does go all the way back to Carter. I think Carter, I think, did, did the Shah very wrong. I think there was cancer treatments that he denied here in the United States. A lot of backstimming issues and a lot of people that, are, that definitely have some pain from back then. But we look at the president. We do have something was going on that caused the Iran nuclear deal to not only be signed by the United States under the, President Obama, but by other countries, our allies. So there was obviously some issues of contention. Here's my issue with this. I think they're all bad over there in a lot of ways. But what I don't like is I don't see a detailed plan of the United United States. What do they want Iran to do besides just don't make a nuclear bomb? I don't think that blanket comment works. I want detailed, specific things that it's going to take to de-escalate this situation. Real quick, why have we not seen the specific bullet points that this administration is asking from Iran if both sides are saying we don't want war? What's it going to take not to have it? Yes, well, I think what it takes is for the U.S. to de-escalate. They're the ones who've escalated this situation. The U.S. was a party to an agreement that was working. It backed out, not because the agreement wasn't working, but because it wanted to increase hostilities with Iran. So it's therefore up to the U.S. to say, we don't want hostilities. We're going to ratchet back sanctions. We're going to ratchet back the oil embargo and start dealing with that country on an equal footing. But that's not what the U.S. wants. The U.S. is making it clear it wants war. That's, what, that's why it's not giving yeah. Iran uh, any points to get to make peace, because the U.S. wants war. That's what's very clear from all this. And I have to say that the professor's comments were right on point. He left out some things. He didn't mention the fact um, that Iran had elected a democratically elected president, that president was overthrown, and then the brutal dictator known as the Shah of Iran was installed, which led to the Iranian uh, revolution. And then what did the United States do? Uh, and I believe this was during um, the Reagan administration. Um, what did they do? They started funding um, Iraq and giving Iraq chemical weapons, which were used against the Iranians in its eight-year war um, with Iraq. Well, the dynamics are different now. Um, Iraq is now um, uh, under the control of Shias, which is the predominantly branch of Islam that the majority of the people in Iran practice. And Iraqis have already said you're not going to use our, our territory to uh, stage attacks on Iran. Um, Iran is also 
uh, has been key in fighting Daesh or ISIS in Syria, Iranian militias as, as well, uh, helping in, in Iraq. And so um, really the U.S. is the aggressor, but you won't hear this sort of conversations like I was watching a clip from CBS Morning News with Gail King, Oprah friend the other day, and there was no, it, it was no conversation had like this. They were just basically saying, uh, Iran is blamed for the attacks on the Saudi pipeline. They're blamed for the first two um, attacks on, on tankers. And now they've done this and now they shot down. And, and it was basically just a little short segment on making a case or beating the drums for war against Iran. All right. So Donald Trump is now saying that they were going to attack Iran, but he pulled them back. He He's saying that a lot of people would die and he thought that that would be disproportionate since no uh, U.S. military person uh, died as a result of them shooting down this unmanned drone. Um, so, again, I want to reiterate to our listening audience, like I said yesterday, and I did not even know about this yesterday, uh, Trump saying that they were poised to strike uh, specific targets inside of Iraq, and then he uh, pulled back on that and told them no, uh, how many people would be killed? They estimated 150. Uh, he said that will be a disproportionate response. I mean, it's it's just um, surreal when Donald Trump is the cool cooler head in in the room. Cause again, mainstream media, uh, their cable pundits, a lot of them seem uh, to want war, but again, it's very profitable for them. Gives them something to talk about. Um, in their wall-to-wall coverage. They'll embed some reporters with the troops and bring you back dramatic footage from the war zone. And, and man, it's, it's turned into entertainment. War is entertainment for a huge section of the American population, it seems. So this is something to keep an eye on. This is something to prepare for because, again, Let's say they had attacked Iran. Well, then Iran uh, most certainly probably would have shut down, made good on his threats to shut down the Strait of Hormuz, where I heard that one-fifth of the world's oil supply comes through uh, that strait right off the coast of Iran. And what will that do? Well, that'll cause gas prices to go up. That'll cause food prices to go up. It'll cause heating oil to go up. Uh, good thing we're in summer right now, but since when uh, had they had a short uh, um, a war? We've been in Afghanistan 20-plus years, still got troops in Iraq 20-plus years. How long we've had troops in Syria, despite Trump saying how he's withdrawn the troops now that ISIS has been uh, destroyed. I think the shortest war was the one that I was in. I think it, t- it took less than a year took less than a year. Not that I'm proud of that because they killed a lot of civilians and soldiers uh, um, in inside of Iraq. But ever since then, I guess they figure, hey, we didn't really make as much money as we did off the Gulf War. It was less than a year. Uh, we need to prolong 
presence of the U.S. Uh, in these countries, and hence how long we've been in Afghanistan, how long we've been in Iraq, how long we've been in Syria. It's been, it, it's costing trillions and trillions upon uh, trillions of dollars. All right, so right now, for now, the cooler head within the Trump administration is uh, ruling the day. And I hope Trump does. He lies about a lot of things, but I hope he's not lying when he said during his campaign that these wars are disastrous for the United States and he doesn't want to continue down that path. But that that remains to be seen because the people that he appointed to his cabinet uh, certainly are not uh, cool, cool heads. Um, these people came in with an agenda, agenda that they've had for decades of attacking Iran. All right, so with that said, I'm going to go into a break as we change gears. I'm going to talk about uh, reparations some more. Um, I want to play some extended uh, commentary from Tanahasi Coates, who was one of the witnesses he uh, at the HR 40 hearing in Path to Restorative Justice. Um, some say that he was one of the better uh, witnesses. Um, but uh, he had additional commentary. I'm still not hearing the 13th Amendment mentioned in its proper context. Ta-Nehisi Coates, um, maybe at, uh, our abolitionist that's out there, if you're on Twitter, get at Ta-Nehisi Coates and remind him that the 13th Amendment never abolished slavery. What we're calling mass incarceration is a continuation of the uh, um energy theft, as Dave Atando would say, the energy theft of African-descended people. And of course, today, modern slavery does affect more than just black people, but we are still the primary target and we are the dominant population in prison slavery. Again, the United States has the world's largest prison slavery population in the world. In the world. And ta needs to bring this up should have brought it up at the hearing others at, at the hearing they should have brought it up stop saying slavery ended because it did not that's just that's just not true it's not true we don't want to accept that because we've been programmed to believe that it ended uh with the conclusion of the civil war and the 13th amendment was purposely hidden from us uh, by the school system and by mainstream media. It's only been in recent years that the mainstream media has even acknowledged the exception clause. Um, but so shout out to the new abolitionists out there. The only reason they're talking about it, anyone's talking about it at all, is because of you, because of the work that you've been doing since 2013 and using new media to point out this fact to the public. So we need we, we need to keep mentioning the 13th Amendment in these reparations conversations. And thankfully that did happen on an episode of CNN from an unexpected source I might say. Um, because I tweeted at Charles Blow before about the 13th Amendment when he's written articles about the criminal justice system. Um, I don't expect them to respond, although some of these um, uh, people with high profiles in the media have responded to me at times. He's never responded to me, 
And but I was I was pleasantly surprised that he brought it up on a, a segment about reparations as he was debating uh, Rick Santorum, who ran for president. Um, when was that that Rick ran? Was it in two thousand and eight? Uh, I believe it was. So I'm going to uh, take a break, and then we'll come back. I'll touch upon that, and of course I can't forget. You know, I keep hearing all these reasons why the United States government or U.S. taxpayers, which African-Americans are a part of, uh, should not pay reparations to African-Americans to settle this longstanding debt and perhaps bring peace and stability um, and domestic tranquility uh, to this land. Um, Look at it as a economic stimulus package because what if if African Americans got monetary reparations let's be for real and this was brought up on in Cobra uh, on their in um, debut broadcast on Black Talk Radio Network by one of the hosts um, uh, Miss Bonita and she was like you know uh, some black people would say uh, we don't need monetary reparations they just gonna give it right back to them well, you know what? It's th- it would be theirs to give. And like she said, it's not like we got all of these black manufacturing plants, manufacturing cars, manufacturing uh, washers and dryers, household appliances. Um, you would have to go to Africa for that. I think there's one car that's being made in Africa, and I think it's being made in Ghana. Okay? So uh, people are going to buy what they need, what they need, whether it's a home, a down payment on a home, whether it's to fund their business, whatever. It's theirs to decide. And if they go buy a car, if they go buy some household appliances and it benefits the U.S. economy, well, we live here too. We live here too. So, um, you know, I, I see that as illegitimate, as an illegitimate concern about who they gonna spend the money with hopefully they'll spend some of it with with uh the few black businesses that we have maybe they'll start some businesses who knows maybe they'll invest some of that money in black talk media projects so that we can build our nationwide network of digital radio stations and platforms but uh economic reparations would benefit everyone in the United States because that money's going to go right back into the economy. All right. So we'll talk about that on the other side. When we come back, if you have any questions or comments about any other things that I'm discussing, whether you agree or disagree, um, isn't a problem. Uh, we just need to be respectful uh, and, and mindful of each other. Okay, so give us a call, 704-802-5056. Hit the star key twice to unmute yourself. But we're going to take a break right now, and then when we come back, we'll hit those topics. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc. And stay right there. We'll be back.
Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. Uh, Before I get into the other topics, just want to remind you that the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America, also known as NCOBRA, uh, right now is in the midst of its 2019 National Conference Registration, excuse me, their National Conference. Um, you can go online at NCOBRA, that's N-C-O-B-R-A, online.org for more information. Um, let me see. This is going on. It started June the 20th yesterday, and it will end on June the 23rd in Detroit, Michigan. I got a cousin that's uh, in Ohio right now. Uh, my next door cousin um, is going to pick up his daughter in Detroit to bring her down for the summer. Um, Man, I wish I could have been at this uh, event. I was just in Detroit uh, about less than a month ago. Um, 400 years of terror, a debt still owed. Uh, This will be held at Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, which is at 315 East Warren Avenue, Detroit, Michigan. Also, uh, Timbuktu, Academy of Science and Technology at 10-800-10800 East Canfield, Detroit, Michigan. There will be a banquet, and that will be held in fellowship. That will be held at 7707 West Outer Drive Hotel, St. Regis, 3075. That's West Grand Boulevard, Detroit, Michigan. Um, The conference schedule, uh, let me see today is the 21st so what's going on today um it's already already started of course um they've already should be coming back from lunch where they're at lunch right now they'll come back at 1 p.m with workshops and presentations from one to five o'clock um let me see what else is going on um uh, the banquet at at 6 to 10 will be the banquet with keynote speaker, the Honorable Judge Greg Mathis, who is a Detroit native. Uh, also, the Minister Louis Farrakhan will receive the Presidential Amari Abdele Abd- 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 uh, and Queen Mother Audley Moore Reparations Lifetime Achievement Award. So that's what's going on today. Uh, right now, let's just break in um, to... A stream that I just discovered 
um, uh, coming to you live from. Well, it can't be live because they're at lunch right now. But let's let's see if we can pick this up. Uh, Four hundred years of terror. Uh, Debt still Channel, uh and it got in Cobra online under it, so we're getting, in, you know, there in Cobra. Of course, they said he was narc, but you know what can we say? Uh, I couldn't figure out even how to speak on Zoom, much less, you know, scream into the sto- into the thing. No, 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 no. He's in Cobra, but those these are the kinds of things. NCBL was a founding organization. A co-founding of of uh, of, uh, of uh, in Cobra, but NCBL now through our, the leadership of our president, she said, "I want to do more. I want NCBL to do more." We co-authored letters to the presidential candidates that spoke. Um, when we co-authored it, we had a committee that that actually edited them. In Kichi, Jamoki, uh, Cam, several Akinis, several other people, uh, and. Uh, we sent those. But the president of Encolver says, I want us to follow up on that. I want us to really develop a campaign 2020 uh, for reparations. That can fold into what, uh, and, that, and that's something we would bring to Encolver because we've always worked with Encolver, not uh, outside of it. But that's, so what organizations do you work with? You know, sometimes, again, like our family and friends, we isolate our organizations too. You know, what organizations do you work with? What church do you go to? We used to have Reparation Sunday. What church do you go to? You know, can we, you know, get a speaker on, you know, on one Sunday to just tell them, update them on reparations and and get their support? You know, we used to do things like that. You know, and those are things, and, and that's not really direct action. It's outreach and it's education. And then we had the final section, which isn't the final section. The uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the on the young lady's name. The ABCI that did the healing piece, uh, but we had a self healing section as well, uh, and we talked about uh, supporting international ceremonies for reparations and healing. Uh, we talked about supporting the national service, you know, reparations and healing. We know, this is something we used to talk about in the, in the, in the uh, Legal Strategies Commission. Now, we all walk around here, we say we want reparations, but we don't say we're we injured. Hello. You're injured. A lot of people don't, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm not injured. We're all injured. We're all injured. You know, and the self-healing is all connected to reparations. They can't heal us. We can't ask them as reparations for them to heal us. Then we're just continuing our own, you know, whatever word I'm trying to think of, you know, oppression. Thank you. You know, our own injury, right? We continue that. But we, we do have to admit and then work towards Self-healing. I wrote a, a, a tiny piece in the book, and I want to bring your attention to it. Not necessarily; it's not really that great or anything. But the point I was trying to make is, we have consistently participated in our own healing, and we have to continue that and acknowledge that reparations is because of how we were treated by a group, the brutalization of us by the colonizers and then those within the United States and corporates and all of that. That's reparation because they did it to us as a group because of our group identity. 
They didn't just pick on, you know, my ancestors and say, well, you don't look quite right. I'm going to beat up on you. They picked on all peoples of Africa that were African. And that's why Du Bois says, people think, you know, Du Bois is brilliant. So he didn't speak, uh, he didn't speak without purpose. He said the question of the 20th century is the question of the color line. He could have said race if he wanted to, because that was the concept back then. Remember my sister Ida B. Wells talked about herself being a race woman. He wasn't speaking. Okay, looks like uh, we lost our audio there, and I will get um, this broadcast in its entirety as it will be saved. I will get it posted to blacktalkradionetwork.com in our, um, I'm not sure what section I'll put it in, but it'll show up on the front page. All right, so uh, Encobra right now is uh, having this conference, uh, 30th anniversary, 30 years they've been involved in this work. Um, a lot of people look at Encobra as being just one organization, but it's not. It's a coalition of organizers, a coalition of organizations. And I'm just happy that the Black Talk Media Projects um, offer to help Encobra get out its message to a wider audience was accepted because it is all about us networking and working together and not um, um, trying to minimize um, the work of other people because they didn't get the results that you think they should have got in the time that you think it should have taken. Um, you act like we are not, some people act like we are not up against the most powerful people on the planet, as Mr. Neely Fuller would say, one of the most powerful governments on the planet. And it is quite clear they don't want to pay. So it's not about what they want, though. It's about um, us organizing to demand reparations. And as she was talking about their strategies committee, you know, one thing I would like to submit, I don't care uh, if it gets me into any trouble, but uh, until reparations is settled, I call for a boycott of all U.S. military branches. I don't care if we talking uh, regular Army, Marines, Air Force, Navy, or the National Guard, or the Army Reserves. We should boycott. Why should we allow ourselves to be sent out all over the world in the name of white supremacy, as she say, we play a role in our own oppression. Then we get killed or maimed or, or psychologically damaged, you know, that thing they call PTSD, which a lot of black people have PTSD from the war America has waged on black bodies for 400 years, black and other non-white bodies. So that's what will be in my strategy, and it's not something I haven't uh, talked to my children about. I have talked to my child. I had a daughter who wanted to go in the Air Force, and I, I told her no. Uh, you should find another option. And now she works for one of the largest uh, manu uh, truck manufacturing plants here in our county. Um, you know, it's right, right up the street from us, basically. Well, not right up the street, but it's 10 minutes from uh, where we live. And I told her about how women are mistreated and raped and 
and uh, sexually assaulted in the military and, and that kind of, um, you know, struck a note with her and, and she said no. Um, but, you know, I also talked about us being tools of white supremacy. So don't be like your dad when he was a young 20-something know-nothing who was just beginning to uh, find his political uh, um, identity, find his, well, I'm not going to say social identity. I've always identified as a black person, as a black man. Um, but, um, you know, I was coming into a lot of knowledge. I was went into the military uh, to escape the country because um, I was bored as a young person. And now I look back and I was like, man, you know, I had it great growing up. Um, fishing, hunting, uh, sports, all of that. Um, but, you know, someone who came from city life, I was kind of missing that. And I couldn't wait to get out of this little country country town. And uh, so I joined the military for college money as well and didn't want to go into debt. So that's why there's a lot of fight back against um, funding uh, tuition-free public colleges and universities. They need people to not have the money to go to college so they're going to the military. So I would suggest that as a uh, bargaining uh, chip with the U.S. government if we start boycotting until they settle this debt. They're not grateful for African-American soldiers helping them win the American Revolution. They're not grateful for African-Americans helping them keep the union together. And it was only an afterthought to abolish slavery in Lincoln's mind, uh, which he never did, actually. But without those African-American soldiers, without those victims of slavery joining, joining the union forces, they had, they would have lost. That's why he had to issue the Emancipation Proclamation. They were losing. Because in his prior letters, and they was covering some of this yesterday on our community talk radio, which comes on this network at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Um, they, You know, Lincoln had wrote in letters to Judge Stevens, um, to also a person by the name of Greeley that Ian mentioned, which I had not heard of that letter, but it appeared in the newspaper where he was saying, I really don't, and I'm paraphrasing, I really don't care if the United States remains a, a state that practices slavery or if it's a free state for all. It doesn't matter to me. My main objective is to keep the union together. And so uh, he had told Stevens, uh, a Georgia slaver and also member of Congress said, uh, look, we're not trying to do anything to you or your property, meaning they're human victims of slavery. So anything you hearing about that is fake news. Um, we just don't want it to expand to the new territories we ripping off from the Native American and our continued genocide against them. Um, so that's the only rub. You have nothing to fear from a Lincoln administration. Well, uh, the Confederates didn't believe them. They succeeded from the Union and kicked off the American Civil War with the attack on, what was that, Fort Sumter in Charleston. First shots fired when they attacked. And then for two years they were battling. And the Union was making no progress in putting these rebels down. So they had to open it up. 
to let free blacks join as well as victims of slavery and to get them, they emancipated them in the slave, in the Confederate states, not the states like Kentucky that were slave states but still remain in the Union. We've been taught a lot of fake history, y'all, which has been uh, buttressed by fake news. But the truth is starting um, to come out. Now, let me play uh, some of Ta-Nehisi Coates' comments post-hearing um, that he made. Um, he appeared on Democracy Now! Um, I have a collage of his clips uh, and statements that he made. If I can pull it up right quick, if I can find it in my thread in um, BTR community, here it is. Uh, Tiny Hasi Coates appeared on Democracy Now! yesterday to further share his thoughts on reparations. And I found out something here I might have known before but forgotten. But Tiny Hasi Coates was one of those black people that was against reparations until he got more information. So let's take a listen. The two uh, great crimes in American history is obviously the you know destruction of this country's Native American, the near destruction, I should say, not the, the destruction, the near destruction of this country's Native American population, the theft of their land. And on to work that land uh, was brought in uh, and, and Native Africans uh, into this country beginning in, in 1619. Um, those twin processes profoundly altered the, the, the shape of, of the world uh, and made this country possible. Obviously, first of all, you, you know, the land on which you know, America and Americans currently reside uh, was, the, was the land of Native Americans. But the people brought in to, to, to break that land uh, uh, just transformed it. The, the profits uh, derived from slavery are, are, are more extreme than I think are, are, are commonly Acknowledge, as I said yesterday, uh, uh, in 1860, uh, the combined worth of the four million enslaved black people in this country was some $3 billion, nearly $75 billion in, in today's uh, share of dollars. Uh, uh, cotton, uh, in 1860, was this country's largest export, not just its largest export, it was the majority of exports. Uh, out of this country. So from a financial perspective, just the economics of it, it it's absolutely impossible to imagine America uh, uh, without uh, enslavement. The onset of the Civil War, the greatest uh, preponderance, the greatest population uh, per capita of millionaires and multimillionaires in this country was in the Mississippi River Valley. It wasn't in Boston, wasn't in Chicago, wasn't in New York. The richest people in this country were slaveholders. Most of our earliest presidents were slaveholders. And the fact that they were presidents uh, is not incidental to the fact that they, they're slave, to, to their slaveholding. Uh, that was how they built their wealth. That was how Thomas Jefferson built his wealth. That was how George Washington built his wealth. Uh, uh, individual slaves were the equivalent of, say, owning a home today. They were uh, 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 people, but turned into objects of extreme wealth. So just from the economic perspective, there's that. And just forgive me for extending a little bit, but there's also the fact of what America actually is culturally. Our, our greatest export today is our entertainment and is our, and it is our culture. It is impossible to imagine American culture uh, without jazz, without the blues, without hip-hop. It's impossible to imagine American cinema without, regrettably, birth of a nation. It's impossible to imagine American literature at this point without James Baldwin, without Toni Morrison. All of these are the, 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 the primary, secondary, and territory fruits of slavery. And so if you strip slavery out of America, if you strip black people out of America, you really don't have 
in America. When I started in 2014, I actually was, at that point, for reparations, but you're referring back to something I wrote in 2012 when I was, you know, against. I wouldn't have been able to give you that answer. I, I, I didn't have that level of, of, of knowledge. And beyond that, I didn't have the level of knowledge on how it persisted. I mean, I had a vague sense of segregation, Jim Crow, et cetera, you know, in the 100 years after. But I didn't know about red line. Not, not, not in that degree of, of, of detail. Uh, and I didn't know how this uh, uh, extraction, as I call it, of wealth from the African-American community uh, uh, laundered through the state into the white community, you know, uh, uh, through, through redlining, through the FHA loan program, uh, through the GI Bill. I, I just didn't have knowledge of that. And once I saw that, it's like, wow, this is a persistent, you know, uh, a pattern of, 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 a, of extraction that needs a really, really radical answer. At that point, reparations made total, total sense to me. Uh, but I will add that it made sense to plenty of people long before it made sense to me. I think in this moment, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, this sort of, uh, 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 you know, all of these questions that, that may have been, you know, off of the table in 2016 or off the table in, in 2008, it, it, it's not that um, people weren't raising them. You know, it's not that, you know, people weren't, weren't making a point. But I, I just think, you know, in, in reaction to, to, to what's going on to this country, in this country right now, people are just much, much more open. You know, um, and, and, and in terms of poverty and, 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 and race in this country, again, you know, one, one of the things that I really, really wanted to stress is it's, it's the level of poverty specifically that you see in the African-American community. It, it's not accidental. It's not accidental. This was, uh, uh, this is part of the process. The process of enslavement involves stealing something from someone. It involves taking someone, something from someone. Jim Crow was theft. First and foremost, it was theft. If I, if I, tax you or if I tell you you have to be uh, loyal to this country and, 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 and pledge fealty to its laws, but then I don't give you the same degree of protection, I don't give you the same access to resources that I give to another group of people, I have effectively stolen something from you. I've stolen your tax money. I've stolen your, your fealty. I've stolen your, your, your loyalty. So when the state of Mississippi, for instance, you know, uh, uh, taxes black people and then builds you know, one facility uh, for education and, and another faci one facility uh, for education for whites and then an inferior facility uh, for blacks. That's theft. That's theft. If I build a, a, you know, a public pool system and then tell you you can't use that public pool system, that's theft. Uh, and so that, 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 that is the long history you know, of this country that doesn't end, again, conservatively until, you know, a 1968. And so uh, there are people who are very, very much alive who've experienced that, who are suffering the, the after effects and effects of that. Uh, and, and that's what, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the whole movement around reparations is about. Reparations isn't just about enslavement. There was a 250 years of enslavement, that period of theft. After that, there was 100 years of terror, that period of theft. And, you know, I would argue, in fact, uh, our, our present system of mass incarceration emerges right out of that. And so, uh, you know, th this notion that, that, that uh, a nation uh, somehow only... Uh, um, especially when we're talking about its debits, that, 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 that it only lasts through the lifetime of its present generation is, is clearly ridiculous. Uh, the state itself would fall apart if, if, if that were true. If all of our treaties were broken when this generation died, if all of our taxes and responsibilities, if we said to pensioners, you know, we will no longer pay you because the people that, you know, made the decisions about those wars are, are, are no longer alive, we would have a huge problem. As I said yesterday, to this very day, or at least I should say as recently as 2017, <clears throat> we were paying pensions to, to uh, uh, the heirs of, of Civil War widows. Tony Hossie Coates laying down the historical evidence, documented 
evidence, making a strong case. And he was almost there. He was almost there in recognizing that slavery was never abolished. He called it mass incarceration and said it comes right out of slavery. Well, we just need you to grasp the 13th Amendment, Ta-Nehisi, and mention it whenever uh, you have a platform to mention it in the context of this conversation. Slavery was never abolished. The 13th Amendment makes that clear. It says, slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished except as a punishment for crime whereof the party has been duly convicted. Okay? So, that explains Jim Crow right there. That explains the drug war. That explains what we call mass incarceration today. Prison slavery. It's, it's an unbroken line, 400 years. And some would argue, like Ian was arguing yesterday, it's more closer to 500 years. Okay, so um, shout out to ta Coast. We just need you, brother, to become an abolitionist. You're almost there. You just need to recognize the 13th Amendment needs to be repealed and replace with an amendment without that, as Kanye West called it, that trap door to lead people right back into slavery. So, again, I thought um, Ta-Nehisi Coates' uh, thoughts were interesting. Um, I mean, he, again, was not informed about all the harm that has happened to our parents, to our grandparents, uh, who lived through Jim Crow, um, who lived through the 70s, lived through the 80s. Like I told somebody in North Carolina, they and this was in the context of this whole fake controversy over uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez comparing uh, these uh, detention camps to concentration camps and people saying, oh, that's that's minimizing what, what happened uh, to to the Jews and, and what have you. Uh, um, no, it doesn't minimize it. It puts it into its proper context. And so, um, you know, it's unfortunate. It is diabolical what was done to Jews and not just Jews by Nazi Germany um, because gypsies were targeted, uh, communists were targeted, other ethnic groups were targeted, uh, feeble-minded people were targeted and like I told somebody, North Carolina didn't stop its eugenics program until I was in high school if a teenager got pregnant, uh, they could st- sterilize that person if a neighbor reported some young girl is being promiscuous and what they would sterilize that. those people still alive and again, the United States is responsible. The federal government is responsible because they're supposed to police the states. And they're supposed to protect American citizens from such things. But again, North Carolina continued its eugenics program all the way up until the 1980s. I was in high school when they finally stopped. And and sometimes I think that might be the reason why I never asked her, but that might be the reason why my mother, when she had me at 18, moved to Detroit uh, with her brothers from down here to go stay with uh, um, 
my uncle's family until she was able to get her own place. Maybe that's why she left North Carolina. Maybe she was afraid of being sterilized. So she had to uproot herself from her uh, uh, ancestral home and uh, relocate to Detroit. So uh, lots of stuff was going on. Uh, he by in no means um, covered it all when he talked about the extraction of wealth. I mean, that's going on today by way of prison slavery because of prison slavery gerrymandering. That is when they take you out your community, put you in a prison in another state or in a predominantly white community. Then they count you in the census and then who gets those political um, uh, seats? Who gets the apportionment of political seats in, in the House of Representatives. Who gets those federal grants based on their population numbers, uh, okay? So that's taking black bodies, putting them in predominantly white districts to extract wealth from them. That's why we have the world's largest prison uh, population. So um, I, I definitely... Um, understand uh, where Ta-Nehisi Coates, and I'm so glad that he put in the research to, to become more informed and change his mind about uh, reparations. It's still, you know, we're behind the eight ball, and I think it's important that we continue uh, this conversation through our media outlets, and because the majority of the American public are against reparations. Now, uh, some of them are considering it, as I was reached out to by a former client where I used to uh, technically produce her radio program, and she, you know, saying I'm on the fence about reparations, and this is a white person and wanted more information. And, and so I provided her with more information and the link to uh, the actual H.R. 40 bill, which she asked me, are they purposely hiding this? Why aren't anyone sharing um, this bill to establish this uh, commission? So we have to continue to produce media that is pro reparations and make the logical um, arguments presenting evidence. And the evidence is right there in front of your face. Some people just choose to ignore it. Now, also, I got some pushback on this about a month or so ago uh, when people want to start talking about uh, Africa, but talking about African nations in a derogatory way and, and, and to cause, um, you know, uh, let's just say negative feelings between us and African immigrants and what have you. Um, but I had proposed that there are African nations that owe us reparations as well. Now, um, there's only been one that I know of for sure, but it might be two African nations that have offered reparations in the form of 40 acres in a mule of that which was promised to African Americans, especially the veterans, and then was reneged on by uh, the federal government. But Ghana, I believe, has offered citizenship to African Americans as well as some land to resettle there. Again, like I covered yesterday, uh, Ghana has declared 2019 the year of return for uh, not just African Americans, but all African descended people in the diaspora. 
But I've I've argued that, you know, uh, I think the country might be known as Benin right now, um, but it was the former kingdom of the homie, which was a major player in the transatlantic slave trade. See, I'm not one of those people who are going to ignore history and all um, the people who portray who participated in this grand conspiracy. I'm not one of those people that's going to say, oh, African slavery was different then. No, it, it might have been when they first set it up, but when that mark, when they found out that it was a market for these other tribes, tribes, people that they was capturing and enslaving, even if they did adopt them into their family. When they found out that Arabs and Jews and Caucasians would pay for these slaves, uh, yeah, they certainly knew what was going on. Now, there is just one Nigerian woman who was a slaver who found out just how brutal these people were being treated who then became an abolitionist. But still, those nations, Nigeria, Benin, Ghana, they owe reparations because they helped capture the people. The, the, the Caucasians and the Arabs didn't just run up in Africa capturing people. No, that work was done by uh, African empires. And how are empires built but through the subjugation of other people that are seen as others? So they have tribal affiliations, ethnic affiliations and groups in Africa. It has not been just one great big unity party throughout their history but again I digress I feel that they too who have apologized also owe reparations and so I would say and the UN has um, had a UN reparations panel um, pulling up evidence on just the United States and they came out with a recommendation that the United States owes reparations not just for pre-1865 but for what followed after and what continues today because they specifically also mentioned police terrorism okay and 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 so but I would like to see the UN form a study group that includes not just those two or three African nations but all of Europe all of Europe, uh, you had German settlements that were using uh, uh, trafficking in, in victims of slavery, using them as, as free labor, uh, German, uh, Britain, uh, certainly the UK, and many others, in addition to the United States. So I think a study needs to be done on all of the nations that participated in the Ma'afa of Africans and African descendant people and they should be made to put into a reparations fund. Now, I got some pushback from that from people like Mr. Sandy Darity who is a respected economist uh, who's been talking about reparations for for a while and, and making an economic argument for reparations, but he says he, he doesn't take that view. Well, you know, we can disagree on that, and I'm definitely supporting H.R. 40, but I also want to acknowledge that the United States isn't alone in this crime, and that these other nations, primarily the U.K., Denmark is another one, uh, they need to uh, atone for their sins as well. They need to atone for their sins as well, so 
You know, I like to see that UN panel set up to do the fact finding on all nations who profited from the African international slave trade, concluding with a recommendation that guilty parties all pay into a reparations pool distributed to the victims. And and, and again, I want to point this out. Uh, I am overdue for my last break. But when I come back from my last break, um, I want to point out that those in opposition to reparations to African-Americans, I'm speaking to um, uh, uh, U.S. citizens, think of it as a stimulus package. Wasn't the economy, the global economy pulled back from the brink of destruction, total collapse because of the stimulus package that was issued during the Obama administration? to everyday people, American citizens, taxpayers, because if you didn't pay taxes, you didn't get a stimulus check. Um, But anyway, didn't that save the uh, economy from what those crooked criminal bankers did, the fraud that they committed, that they should have been prosecuted, convicted, and jailed over? Look at it that way. You Let's say, you know, you live in a predominantly white rural community like I have and no, my family didn't move here from somewhere else because we wanted to get out the hood. No, uh, my family has uh, uh, been here over 200 years and then white people start moving in around us. But there's about, I would say 20% population of African Americans, victims of slavery, Jim Crow and, and modern day slavery and human trafficking. Most of the businesses in this county is owned by who? It's owned by corporations. It's owned by white people. Where do you think we're going to go spend our stimulus check? It's called reparations a stimulus uh, check for the sake of this argument. Would it not benefit those corporations, those store owners, those employees? Of course it would. Would it not also generate tax revenue? Because it's certainly not going to exempt us from taxes, although I think that should be in a reparations package. Again, it ain't always got to be just about money, although it should be money. But I would like to get tax-free exemption for a lifetime. Uh, I would like a permanent, um, although it'll never happen to me, but I have grandchildren and I have daughters. And they are talking about drafting girls. I think African-Americans should be excluded from registering for the selective service and free from a compulsory service in the United States for when they do bring back that draft because nobody's volunteering because they don't want to be cannon fodder for corporate wars. And when I call them corporate wars, because that's who's going to benefit from these wars about that oil. Okay, so I'll talk about that. Let me take a quick uh, break. And then I will talk about that as well as the biblical case for reparations, as it was mentioned on Twitter um, yesterday. This is a so-called, supposed to be a so-called Christian nation, and you believe in the Bible and and all of that. Um, Well, don't you know reparations is biblical as well? It's biblical. So um, definitely we'll go into that. On the other side, you're listening to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA, Inc. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
No, it really isn't. Because, see, people are thinking in terms of, well, they want to brag about being black, which means that they are implying that there's something incorrect about being white, even though these are the creations of the creator. See, and then so everybody gets into this black pride thing or white pride thing, and people immediately start taking sides. It's not about taking sides based on black and white. It's about taking sides based on justice and non-justice. Well, that's what you're really aiming for. Being black doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice. And being white doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in justice, except you mean in, you believe in non-justice. And that doesn't make any difference what shade you are or how tall you are or who your cousin was or anything like that or what so-called nationality you have. Like a lot of people say that they take pride in being an Englishman or take pride in being a Frenchman or take pride in being Afrocentric. Well, you're not supposed to be proud of any of those things if you don't believe in justice because these words mean nothing. No nationality means anything. And, And waving a flag if you don't believe in not mistreating people. You've got to believe in not mistreating people, and you've got to believe in helping people that need help the most. Otherwise, you don't even have any business breathing. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed. Briefly, before I jump into uh, the topics I mentioned, I want to re- uh, share some breaking news and this comment that was left on our Twitter feed. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Black Talk Radio. Um, you can also follow me on BTR Community, at our own social media site, at BTR News with Scotty Reed. All right, so um, this morning... And this does tie in to uh, slavery because slavery was never abolished. But Elizabeth Warren uh, tweeted something out today. Let me pull up. Um, I, I had retweeted it and uh, got a response from um, Victoria. Um, I'm not going to say her last name. I hope. Yeah, I'm not going to say her last name. But anyway, she said private prison companies have spent millions to turn our criminal and immigration policies into ones that prioritize making them rich instead of keeping us safe with terrible consequences. Today, I'm announcing my plan to end this private profiteering off of cruelty. Um, Then she also had a follow-up tweet to that. Let me get to the original tweet. Then she says... The private prison population has grown rapidly since 2000. And with Donald Trump in the White House, private prison companies saw an opportunity to make millions off of his cruel immigration policies. Today, 73% of detained immigrants are held in private detention facilities. The companies running prisons and detention centers regularly sacrifice safety to boost their bottom line. Private contractors in both public and private centers regularly cut corners to maximize margins and come up with schemes to make millions off of incarcerated people. 
And the exploitation doesn't end when people leave these facilities. For-profit supervision companies, which are often run by the same private prison corporations, get rich by charging outrageous fees for monitoring and supervision services like ankle monitors. See, this is stuff we cover on New Abolitionist Radio. Our criminal and immigration systems are tearing apart communities of color and devastating the poor, including children. Women, especially women of color, are particularly saddled with financial burden. Another thing I would say about black women and women of color, but black women are the number one, or I should say the fastest growing demographic of new prison slaves since the Clinton administration. Um, they their incarceration has gone up over 700%. So, this is the response. I, I, and I've gotten these responses before. But Victoria had this to say to me. Here we go, immigration and the criminal justice system is two separate things. The criminal justice system is enslaving black people at an alarming rate. The immigration policies have nothing to do with that. Black people pay attention on how these white people continue to clump our issues in with. Well, Victoria, let me tell you where you're wrong. You may have heard the term intersectionality, or maybe you've heard the term interconnectedness. Okay, but the private prisons are enslaving, which is her target here. Private prisons are enslaving both African-Americans, American citizens, I should say U.S. citizens in general, with African-Americans being the number one target. Then Hispanics, not those who are undocumented, but citizens, then them. And I think that if you want to talk about disproportionality, Native Americans have the highest disproportionate rate of incarceration in this country. Okay? Now, you know, um, I keep hearing this stuff about black people need to focus on black people issues. How is private prisons not a black people issue? It's our issue as much as any issue. And like Dr. King said, an injustice to one is an injustice to all. A threat to justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And Mr. Fuller just talked about in that clip, that's why I play that clip from time to time. I play it for my black audience because that's who I'm always targeting uh, um, my programs towards. We're talking about justice and we're talking about injustice or as he said, non-justice. Black people cannot solve this problem that's impact, affecting us by ourselves because if we did, we'd have done it already. But we are we are the most disenfranchised group, the most impoverished group. We don't have a lot of resources. We don't have the political organization. Uh, uh, and then we get these elected uh, black officials and then uh, they do not enact a black agenda. So we then don't primary these people, but we keep sending them right back to Congress. We cannot fix this problem 
of slavery and the global system of white supremacy by ourselves. But then it, it, it's a matter of justice versus non-justice. Either you're for justice or you're against justice. Either you're for injustice or you're against injustice. So, you know, when I hear people say comments like that, that tells me you're perfectly fine with the mistreatment and oppression of other people, not you. My mother didn't raise me with those principles and values. I didn't learn that in the Christianity that I was taught. And I didn't learn that from revolutionaries like Malcolm X, the Black Panther Party, or any of those individuals, and many more. I So... I'm not in agreement with you and not only am I not in agreement with you that we should turn a blind eye to injustice anywhere, but you're wrong. The immigration system and the criminal justice system are interconnected when you have the same private prison enslavers enslaving us all. So what kind of sense do it make? Let's say we're in a war. What the, 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 the uh, uh, racist white supremacist is enslaving us and they're taking Native American land. What sense did it make for us to side with these white people because some African Americans did uh, stayed in the U.S. military and helped win the West and made it possible for all of these white immigrants to go to the West and get this free land from the government? What sense did that make for us to side with the oppressor and not with other people who were being oppressed? If after the Civil War, they had all moved out west, I'm talking about the victims of slavery and black people moved off out west and said, you know what? We just came out of slavery. These people are evil. This government's evil. We're, we want to settle with you, among you. Or give us some land or make our own settlements with the agreement of mutual defense. How different would this land look if that hadn't occurred? So that's what you're telling me today. That, that we should not look for natural allies in the fight against the very same people oppressing us all. That, and to say that these aren't related issues. They're definitely related. You know, I'm recalling my, my interview a couple of years ago with Angela Chan, an Asian-American immigration attorney who wrote an article talking about the 13th Amendment not abolishing slavery. See, see, I, I tell you, man, I don't understand the thinking of some people. Well, I do understand it. This person is still learning. This person hopefully is open to new information like ta Coates was open to new information. Man, I did not mean to go on that long um, rant, but I, I, I guess my buttons was pushed. Let me go into, I, I think I've made it clear. Look at reparations for African Americans as a stimulus package for all of the United States. If I was a big major corporation, if I was Microsoft, if I was Walmart, if I was Dollar General, uh, if I was on any of those boards, I would be back in reparations because guess what? When those people get their checks, they're going to come to my store and they're going to purchase the items that they need. 
or want. That's good for my bottom line. Okay? Might reduce unemployment to 0%. Real unemployment to 0%. Look at it as a rep, look at reparations as a stimulus package. That's how you should look at it. If you can't look at it any kind of way. If you need a reason other than justice and settling this debt, that's a reason right there. Because you're going to benefit from it too. So, and then let's not act like it's only white taxpayers who are going to fund the reparation. It's going to be us too because we're taxpayers. Like Ta-Nehisi Coates was talking about, been robbing us of our taxes since 1865 when you made us subject to your jurisdiction as citizens. So I'm going to leave it there. Um, I have, because I got to get ready for um, to broadcast our community talk radio with Ian Burroughs. Um, they will continue coverage on uh, the reparations hearing. Dr. Cleo Monago will be in studio. Um, so definitely want to be on time to broadcast um, that, pick up that program for our network. But here is the biblical case for reparations for my evangelical friends out there. The biblical case for reparations by Ulysses Ulysses. Burley III and Nathan Roberts. There is a case for reparation throughout the Bible. The Israelites believed in reparations for slaves in Israel. Jesus believed in reparations for second-class citizens in Rome. Ever since the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites, the Bible took on a very anti-slavery message. And to this day, they created a series of laws called Jubilee Laws, Leviticus 25, 8 through 55. That's a bunch of verses which were designed to prevent any future generations of Israelites from becoming slaves. See, the United States, the so-called Christian nation, didn't do that. They gave us the 13th Amendment, gave the slavers a loophole to continue to practice slavery. The Jubilee Law stated that every 50 years, someone would blow a horn and everyone who was working as an indentured servant, slave due to a debt, talking about debt slavery, were to be free. And all the land that had been bought or sold over the last 50 years was returned to its original owners. So if your father sold the family land to pay for a camel, uh, you just had to wait until the next Jubilee year to get your family land back. Basically, these laws prevented generational poverty, or at least that's how it was supposed to work. The problem was that Israelites never enforced these laws. There is no biblical or historical evidence to suggest that Israel actually enforced a jubilee year. The next generation never got their land back, so generational poverty persisted in Israel. But based on this biblical principle alone, is there a case for black financial reparations in the 21st century? There are a set of biblical laws that gave financial assets, in this case, land and wages, and, and you know, that's another form of reparations. Uh, my family would like to get the land back that Gaston County and the Duke family stole from, from the Rankins uh, here in Gaston County and what was known as Tryon County, what was formerly known as Rankin Town. Give us, we want our land back. Okay. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, you know, but it was talking about land. The United States still controls 
of millions, hundreds of millions of acres of land. And, you know, and, and that's how the Midwest was uh, stolen land, but under the control of federal government. And they gave it to all of these European immigrants coming over here after the Civil War. You gave them our reparations. And it says, if we work from the definition of reparations, making amends for a wrong one has done by paying money to or otherwise helping those people who have been wronged, then yes, there are biblical laws that provide reparations. They go into a lot here. Uh, they provide more scripture, and I just simply do not have the time to get into it. But I have posted this article in btrcommunity.com. I did make it public, so you don't have to be a member to see it. Um, uh, just go to the front page. You'll probably see it. Look for my profile, which is also public. You'll probably see it. I've linked to it, actually, uh, from the uh, promo page on Black Talk Radio Network and, and, and read the rest of this. So, I mean, it, it's definitely biblical. Reparations is definitely biblical. So, um, as I've always stated, this is not a Christian nation. It's only a Christian nation in name only as they do not follow uh, uh, the principles of justice and uh, uh, the principles of love that you find taught by uh, Jesus in the Bible. So there is a biblical case for reparations. We need not just the black church, but all churches. Unless you're a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees to on this subject of reparations for African-American Americans, make that biblical case to your congregation and to the American public. This has been Scotty Reed with a broadcast of BTR News. Again, please continue to support the media work of the Black Talk Media Project. Make a donation to our nonprofit of any amount today or become a member or and or become a member of btrcommunity.com for just $24 a year. Recognize that slavery was never abolished. Any reparations, uh, uh, recommendations have to start with repealing and replacing the 13th Amendment so that there are no exceptions for slavery and it is abolished in all its forms. Peace and blessings to all. Thank <laughs> you.